Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to New Life. We're doing well today. I'm Pastor Barry. I'm the executive pastor here at New Life, and it's hard to believe that we are drawing to a close uh, to our summer series, Mountain Monologues. We've been looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as found in Matthew uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7, and we're in week 18 of 20, which is pretty, pretty incredible to believe. And throughout, we've looked at a number of really incredible topics, and today we're going to be discussing the fruit that we produce with our lives. Now, uh, I don't know if many of you are aware, but I'm a bit of a fruit and produce expert. Um, it's a self-proclaimed title, but you can make up any title these days. Uh, and uh, I think I do have a bit of a reason to claim that title, though, because I grew up on a produce farm. I don't know if many of you knew that, but uh, my folks owned a produce farm just north of Butler, and so for my formative years, uh, we, we worked on a produce farm. And uh, if you've never had the pleasure of working on a produce farm, I'm going to sum it up for you in a couple of sentences. Are you ready? So here's what happens. In the spring, you work like crazy and you pray like mad that it will not rain. And then you till the ground. And then you work like crazy to put seeds and plants into the ground. From that point on, you never stop praying for rain. Okay? So you work like crazy to till the ground, you plant the seeds, you pray for rain, and you work like crazy to keep the weeds and stuff out of the crop so that the plants can thrive. And then you work like crazy spraying. And are you noticing a theme here? Okay. And then you work like crazy right about now, actually, right, is when everything comes in all on the same day. No matter how you plan it, everything's going to come due same day, right around this time of year. If you're a produce farmer, you're going nuts because you're picking all of the things that you have worked all year to, to produce. And even as young children, my parents taught us to, to really pay attention to what was going on in the fields because inevitably, like one year, the potatoes would be awesome and the peas would be terrible. And then the next year, the peppers would be great, but the tomatoes would suffer. We didn't always know why. It was very, you know, varied based on the weather and stuff like that. But they always said to us, keep an eye out because, you know, you're our eyes and the ears in the field as well. And if you see something, just let us know. And occasionally we would see things that we didn't expect or we didn't anticipate. And that happened uh, the year that we found the largest cantaloupe, my sister and I, that we had ever grown on our produce farm. Uh, we actually have a picture of it. We took an original Polaroid, not like those trendy ones today. Uh, so I actually have a picture of the Polaroid. Yeah, there it is. Look at, can we all just marvel at how cute I, I was? Uh, that baseball hat, ironically, Steitner Funeral Home Angels. Think about that for a little bit. That was my baseball team. Someone had a morbid sense of uh, humor. But anyways, that's the cantaloupe that we found, nine and a half pounds. Now, to give you reference, a regular cantaloupe, three pounds, a big one's four, nine and a half pounds. That's like a basketball of a cantaloupe. And my sister and I found it growing in the far field, and we obviously, we, it was such a big deal. Not a lot happens on a farm. <laughs> it was such a big deal that we took a picture of it to commemorate the moment, and we were going to cut it up, and we were going to eat it, and it was just this huge event on our farm. But unbeknownst to us, not everything was as it appeared to be. The inside of that cantaloupe wasn't quite like the outside. Now today, our focus is just that. Do our 
words and our deeds, our actions, do they match? Is the inside like the outside? And up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, as Pastor Chris noted last week, the first 16 weeks that we covered, Jesus was really reinterpreting some of the Old Testament law. He would say, you've heard it said, but I say to you, and spoiler alert, if you missed any of those weeks, I'll sum it up in a nutshell, Jesus made everything harder, okay? And so he's talking through all of these different areas of life, making each one progressively harder, And then last week, there's a bit of a turn in the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Chris mentioned it. It's what he entitled or called the so what portion. What do I do with all this information that Jesus has just given us? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to apply that and live it out? And Pastor Chris talked about the narrow gate uh, and the narrow road. And today, same deal. We're going to be looking at a so what. It's application-based. Jesus is going, I've told you all of these things. I've instructed you. Now here's how you ought to apply it in your lives. And I'll be honest, Jesus is pretty clear that our words and our actions, they ought to match. So much so that our actions should be evident to other people. And he's talking about us bearing and producing good fruit. And it's summed up in our take-home point for today. It's the one point I'm going to seek to make throughout the message. And it's this, what we say and do reveals who we truly are. What we say and What we do reveals who we truly are. Several years ago, Pastor Chris shared an image, and and I liked it so much that I'm copying it today. He said that when our words and our actions are far apart, right? When we say one thing, but we do something completely different, that's called hypocrisy. And we've all, at some point in our lives, been hypocritical. We've said one thing, but yet we've done another. When our lives and our actions are completely the same, when they're perfect, we fulfill everything that we say that we're going to do, and we live that out, that's called Jesus. Because Jesus is the only person on this earth who did everything that he said he was going to do. But throughout our walk as Christians, our lives ought to reflect Jesus more closely. And so it's our hope and our goal that even though we're all somewhere on this spectrum, that day by day, our words and our deeds actually begin to match. So we're going to look at Jesus' instruction for us today. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, I'd invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 20. If you have your Mountain Monologues booklet, I'd invite you to turn to page 51. But before we look at our Bible passage for today, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for today. Lord, I ask right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts to receive your truth to receive your word. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 7, 15 through 20 says this, But beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly there are ravenous wolves. By their fruit you will know them. Grapes are not gathered from thorns or figs from thistles. So every good tree produces or makes good fruits, but the bad tree produces makes bad fruits. A good tree is not able, does not have the power to produce bad fruits, nor a bad tree to produce or make good fruits. Every tree not producing good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, surely by their fruits you will know them. Now, Jesus started this passage with a warning about false prophets. He's very quick out the gate to talk about these folks who would come after him, who for all intents and purposes, by all outward appearances, these people would appear to be helpful, holy, or devout. He's giving a warning here. He's saying this is going to happen. 
and he actually called them wolves. Now, Jesus in the other Gospels actually references it in another way, and we're going to look at that today. But actually, the Apostle Paul references false prophets or wolves in some of his interactions as well. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul, we know, was making his way to Jerusalem, where he would actually uh, be arrested and betrayed and be shipped off to Rome. And it was on his way to to Jerusalem, that he stopped in Ephesus and he met with some of his dear friends. And before he left, he said this to each of them. Acts 20, 28 through 31 says this, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth to draw away disciples after them. So, be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So, both Paul and Jesus are warning their followers that these false prophets, these wolves, would come. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, right? And so, there's a warning there. Not only do these people appear to be helpful, holy, or devout, Paul actually said that there's another layer there as well. The teaching offered by these false prophets would appear to be helpful, beneficial, or true. There's something in these elements that basically, that these elements that these folks presented that would allow them to ingratiate themselves to the community, and ultimately, if folks weren't on their guard, they would be led astray, and it would be to their detriment and to their damage. Paul and Jesus were both very clear. Be on your guard. Watch out for false prophets. Watch for the fruit that they bear. Now, as humans, I think we all like to think that we would never be led astray. But if we're honest, it's much easier for us to lose our way than I think many of us would be willing to admit. A couple of weeks ago, we went on a camping trip as a family, and uh, as part of the trip, we decided to go on a hike, and so we looked at a couple of different trails, and we picked a moderate hike, and we, we went to the trailhead, and we were getting ready to start out, and up to this point, I've generally kind of led most of the hikes of our family, because I kind of like to set the pace, but our family's at such an age that the kids are like, Dad, I want to lead, and so we talked about you know, each of them getting a turn, leading, and all that stuff, but before we left, I said, listen. No matter what you do, follow the blazes on the tree, right? If you've ever been hiking, you know that there's a post or there's a tree with some sort of emblem on it that lets you know where the trail goes. It's called a blaze. Uh, That's the technical term. I read it in the pamphlet. (laughs) I said, whatever you do, follow the blazes on the tree, to which one of my children said, Dad, the path is so clear. The path is so clear, we don't even need the blazes. And I said, that's true. The path is very clear. However, there could come a point where even though the path is clear, it's not the way that we should go. We're about a mile into our hike, and we're walking down a hill that that I knew wasn't part of the trail. Because up to that point, it had been a moderate hike. And I'm starting to get a little winded. And I'm old, but I'm not that old. And I'm about halfway down this hill, and I thought, we're not on the trail. So I stopped, and I looked for the blaze. Couldn't find one. I yelled to the child leading, who at that point is at the bottom of the hill and going, and I said, where's the blaze? They couldn't see one. Child number two between me and the first child, where's the blaze? 
Couldn't see a blaze. Yelled to my wife and daughter behind us, where's the blaze? Couldn't see a blaze. What had we done? We'd followed the trail. It was an easy fix. We made our way back to the top of the hill. And what we didn't know was because of wind and erosion and rain and all that, that trail was very clear. But at the top of the hill, the trail we needed to follow banked right. And there was a clear blaze right there on the tree. But we followed the trail. We learned a lesson. Follow the blazes. Even if the trail looks clear, stay to the markers. And Jesus gives us the very same warning in this passage for today. Follow the markers. You will see markers in people's lives that will help us identify whether they're good or whether they're false prophets, whether they're wolves. And what are those markers? Well, I don't think it's coincidental that Jesus brings this up near the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Because all we got to do is look at the previous 16 or 17 weeks to know what good fruit looks like. He just told us over and over and over again. And so all we have to do is ask upon, reflect on his teaching and ask a couple of questions, which would be something like this. Are there lives of these leaders, those in authority, these teachers, are their lives marked by the Beatitudes? Are they full of salt and light? Have they accepted the narrow gate teaching of a fulfilled law in regard to anger and lust and oaths? Does generosity and prayer and fasting pour forth from their lives? Are they storing up treasure in heaven or are they storing it up on earth? Are they accountable to someone? Are their lives marked by peace? Do they serve their own selfish interest or do they serve others? If so, if those are affirmative for most of them, then we know that they're trustworthy. We can see the fruit in their lives. However, if the fruit, if what they're bearing is more selfish in nature, if there's notoriety or selfishness or personal gain or greed or using other folks to get ahead, you know, if we see those markers in their lives contrary to what Jesus just told us over the previous 16 weeks, then there's a good chance that this person may be a false prophet. We have to be aware of what the fruit is in their lives. Not only do we have to be aware of what their fruit is, we actually have to know, friends, what good fruit looks like. Now, Jesus said it's going to be as evident as picking grapes from thorn bushes and figs from thistles. But here's the deal. Again, we think that we know stuff way better than we do because you don't have to go very far to know that every year someone's out camping and they eat berries that they don't know what they are. I did it the other day. My dad and I were out getting ready to go hunting, and I said, oh, look, those are elderberries. He said, no, those aren't elderberries. Those are something else, and those will kill you. And I went, good, glad we didn't make tea out of that. <laughs> do they look like elderberries? Sure they do. Are, el are elderberries ripe like a month from now? Yeah, I forgot. Now, I'm not going to go pick elderberries, but you get the example. We actually have to know what good fruit looks like. We have to know how it's displayed. You know, and if it was so obvious, then why would Jesus have pointed it out? He had to make us aware of it because he knows that sometimes we're a little slow on the uptake and we can be led astray. So how do we know what good fruit? Jesus implied that we have to know what good fruit looks like. And again, the Bible is clear on how we can know that. In Acts chapter 17, there's a group called the Bereans and they're commended for their knowledge of good fruit. 
Acts 17, 11 through 12 says this, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scripture every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So, not only do we have to be aware of the teaching of others, we actually have to know uh, what the fruit... is that their life is producing, and we have to have enough biblical understanding to know if it's true and good fruit. We actually have to have some skin in the game here too, right? It's not just going, well, they're doing that. I wonder if that's good or not. The Bible's clear, and we get to identify that, and we know if it's true. The Bereans were commended for knowing the truth. Another factor that we have to consider is our own personal role in this as well. We know that when Jesus was presenting this message, this sermon, he was addressing a number of people from all walks of life, whether they were a commoner or the most educated teacher. And implied within the message, but made explicitly actually in the book of Luke that we're going to look at here in a second, Jesus made it clear that we have to consider what kind of fruit we're producing. Because if we're not careful, we might be the very false teachers that he's warning people about. We never get off the hook, friends. Jesus always cuts both ways. Not only do we have to be aware of what we're receiving from others, not only do we, ha- are we, do we have to be aware of what that fruit is and what true fruit looks like, we have to be aware of what fruit we're producing. Luke 6, 43 through 45 says this, No good tree bears bad fruit nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Other translations say it's from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Now, the first part of that passage sounds exactly like the one we read today, but the second part has some nuances as Jesus makes it intensely personal. And ladies, they do reference men there, but it was meant for everybody, so you're not off the hook, sorry. It's the overflow of our heart from which our mouth speaks. So, if we're to make this more personal, if Jesus doesn't let us off the hook, then we have to ask those questions that we asked of those other teachers, we have to ask them of ourselves as well. So, personally, for each and every one of us, are our lives marked by the Beatitudes? Are we full of salt and light? Have we accepted the narrow gate teaching regarding lust and oaths and fasting and anger? Does generosity and prayer pour forth from our lives? Are we storing up treasure on earth or are we storing it in heaven? Are we accountable? Are we living lives that are marked by peace? Do we serve others as Jesus has come to serve us? If so, the fruit that we're bearing is good fruit, and praise God for that. However, if in our own personal lives, we're more about show or notoriety or selfishness or personal gain or greed, if we care more about ourselves than others, and if our lives are marked by those things, perhaps we're not producing the pleasing fruit that God has intended. And again, our words and our deeds must match, but we're all somewhere on that spectrum. If we need further clarification, Jesus is even more explicit in John 15, 1 through 8. 
He says this, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So the message is clear. We're to produce good fruit. How do we produce good fruit? Jesus couldn't be more explicit. We have to remain in the vine. He is the vine. All of our energy and effort and our ability to produce good fruit comes from him. If we do not remain in the vine, we cannot produce fruit. I actually uh, referenced this passage a couple of years ago, several months ago, I can't remember, for another message that I was preaching, and I did a deep dive on the word nothing in the Greek, because I was kind of hoping for a loophole, right? Because when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, I thought maybe a different translation might say, like, most things. But in the Greek, do you know what nothing means? Nothing. There's no loophole. Actually, when you look at words in the Greek, sometimes there are a couple different interpretations. This isn't one of them. It's like interpretation, nothing, end of story. Jesus is saying, and we've said this all along, friends, we cannot do this without the Holy Spirit's empowering in our lives. We cannot bear good fruit outside of the Holy Spirit's empowering in our lives. So how do we remain in the vine? We do what Jesus did. We foster the relationship that we need with our Heavenly Father. We spend time with him in prayer. We build and bolster that relationship. We're accountable to others in our lives. We live within that community, allowing others to call out the fruit that we're producing in our lives. It's the only way that it works. We must remain in the vine, for when we do, we produce a crop for his kingdom, one that will last. Otherwise, we're not good for much of anything because the inside won't match the outside. So we cut open the largest cantaloupe we'd ever grown on our farm. It was an event. I don't even really like cantaloupe, and I didn't like it at all as a child, but I'm like, this thing's so huge, I gotta try a bite. So we cut it open, we diced it up, and we all took a bite, and it was awful. It was awful. I learned a new term that day from my dad, cross-pollination. Some of you who are farmers know what I'm talking about. Basically, what we had before us was not a true cantaloupe. It was a second-year fruit. See, the year before, there had been cantaloupes in that field, and the vines produced good cantaloupes. But as bees and other insects came and pollinated those vines, they also hung out on other places, like squash and pumpkins. Mm -hmm. You see where this is going, right? So we missed a cantaloupe in the field. It probably decayed in the next spring just because of the seeds that were there, it produced fruit. But what it produced was a cantaloupe cantaloupe slash pumpkin slash squash. And some of you are going, pumpkin pie is great. And I'm going, yeah, because there's 12 pounds of sugar on it. (laughs) 
Just imagine taking a nice big old spoonful of raw pumpkin. Mm-mm. Delicious. We spit it out. We threw it into our pigs. It wasn't good for anything. The inside didn't match the outside. Friends, Pastor Chris was pretty clear last week that when we get to this portion, the narrow gate, the narrow road, the inside and the outside and our words and our deeds, these aren't easy messages. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the so what of the Sermon on the Mount. We're wise to apply these teachings to our lives, but they're meant to be challenging. Pastor Chris covered that so well last week, and if you missed it, I'd invite you to go and rewatch that message. We get to make these choices each and every day, and the result of those choices directly affects the type of fruit that we'll produce in our lives. But when the inside does match the outside, when our words and deeds align, God can do some pretty incredible things. I turned 40 this past December, uh, which is a bit more of a, a, a pivotal moment than I, I think I actually anticipated. Not only do more things hurt, but I view the world in a different way. Uh, it's really weird. I, I wouldn't have known it until I experienced it, but I find myself being a lot more reflective, perhaps, is the best way to describe it. And so, at this point in my life, I have dedicated over half of it to serving the church in some capacity. Whether that's in a paid role or a volunteer role, I started serving the church, you know, in my teens. And over those 20-plus years, the Lord has used me in, in whatever way He's wanted, some of which I've really enjoyed and some of it uh, I have not enjoyed. But one of the things that I've been able to do, and I hope I get to continue to do, one of the ways I've been able to serve is I've been able to, many, over many years, mentor young men. And you're like, well, you started when you're you know, 18 or 20. Well, yeah, there was a 12 or 14-year-old, and I formed a relationship and mentored that young guy. And so over the years, I've had an opportunity to mentor several men. And a couple of weeks ago, I was meeting with a young guy, and we were kind of just talking through... Uh, this relationship that he and I had formed, this mentor-mentee relationship, even more of a friendship at this point. And uh, hard to believe we both agreed that we'd been meeting now for over six or seven years. Pretty incredible. And we just were talking about like how different our lives are now than what they were then. You know, kids and some kids had grown up and different things. And it was just, it was a great time, really great conversation, only a few moments long. And the next day, uh, I start my day most mornings with prayer and I kind of was just reflecting on that conversation with that young man, and I just began to think about how his life has changed because he's remained in the vine, right? Now, here's the deal, friends. The Lord can do dramatic things in our lives, and I don't ever want to discount that, but rarely do we see dramatic life change in like a week. Sometimes it happens, but that's rare. Rarely do we see it in a month either. But over a span of several years, our lives should look different. And because of my relationship with this guy, I've been able to see the Lord move in his life and change and restore him in completely different ways. I've seen the fruit that he's produced and continues to produce in his life. I've seen him use his time, his talents, his treasure. I've seen generosity pour forth from his life. I've seen his marriage change. I've seen how he's interacted with his children's children change. There's no part of his life that the Lord hasn't affected and impacted, and the fruit of his life is apparent as he gives freely to other folks. 
Is he reflecting Jesus perfectly? No. But does he look drastically different today? Absolutely. Not only that, when we first started meeting, he would ask some of the most ridiculous questions because he was a young believer in the faith, right? And like any sort of popular notion or thing that came across his plate, he would ask questions. And he was honestly in danger of being led led astray by so many false teachings at that point. And we talked it through and we walked it through. And now, not only is he not even led astray by that stuff, it doesn't even ping his radar screen. He just knows the truth, and he lives that out each and every day. So what has he done? Up to this point, he's remained plugged into the vine. He's aware of the false teaching. He doesn't follow it because he knows what true fruit looks like, and his life reflects the fruit that God wants him to bear. I've only had the privilege of knowing him for six or seven years. I can't wait to see what God will do in 10 or 15 or 20. That's what happens when the inside and the outside match, when the Lord brings those two things together. For God's will to be done here on earth, friends, it's something that we all play a role in. When we enter through the narrow gate and walk along the narrow road, as Pastor Chris said last week, it's challenging. But the the result, the fruit in our lives that we get to bear is one of redemption, hope, and peace where God uses us as his agents in this world to bring his kingdom, and we get to serve him in that way. If that's something that you would consider today, I'd invite you to live out our next step today and this week, which is this, I will bear good fruit empowered by the Holy Spirit this week. I will bear good fruit empowered by the Holy Spirit this week. For some of us, that might mean that we need to bolster that relationship with the Father, For some of us, it might be having that accountability relationship where others get to call out that fruit in our lives. For others of us, it might be that we just really need to sit down and process and think through where the Lord has brought us, thanking Him for how He's changed and restored us. Let's be honest, friends. Left to our own devices, left to my own devices, I'll speak personally, my fruit wouldn't be stuff that I'd always be very proud of. But I'm thankful that I'm not who I was yesterday, and I'm not yet who I'm going to be tomorrow. And we all have that hope in the midst of this, that the Lord will shape and transform us into His image and His Son, Jesus Christ. And that as He produces good fruit in our lives, we'll have a kingdom impact that will affect our region, our families, our homes, from here to the very ends of the earth. Amen? Amen. Every week here at New Life, we give the opportunity for folks who don't yet know Jesus to come to know Jesus, to take that next step. If that's you here today, I would encourage you to to consider it because it's the most important decision that you'll ever make. Take heart, all of us in this room at one point didn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. We were all lost, as the Bible says, but through the witness of God and His Word, through the community of believers, we took that step. Jesus declares that when we come into relationship with him, we have a new life. And the new life simply means that he shapes and transforms us into his image here on earth, but also we have hope and life eternal with him. There's a promise for now and in the future as well. So in a moment, we're going to pray. And as I pray, uh, I would invite you to take that step. We say here at New Life, it's simple, it's not easy, 
but it's as simple as A, B, C. Admit, believe, confess. We admit that we're sinners, that we need Jesus as our Savior. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God as he declared himself to be, and as such has the right to be our Lord and our Savior as well. And then we confess. We confess our need for Jesus. We confess our sins to him, and we commit to following him each and every day as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. As I pray here in a moment, I'd invite you to to take that next step with us. For those of us in this room who do know Jesus, I'd ask that you would, as we're praying, pray for those perhaps here in this room or perhaps neighbors, friends, colleagues, loved ones who don't yet know Jesus. Lift them up in prayer. And also, I'd encourage you to uh, to, to seek in your heart that the Lord would reveal to you the fruit that, you, that we're all bearing with our lives, that he would reveal that to us as well. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, I ask right now that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would move in this place as only you can. Lord, we ask that you would lead us, guide us, and direct us. And Lord, speak to our hearts, minister to our spirits. Lord, for any here today who don't yet know you, I pray that they would, at your prompting, Lord, just take that next step, that they would admit their need for you, saying something similar to, Lord, I admit that I need you in my life. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and has the right to be my Savior and my Lord. I confess my sins to you. I confess my need for you, and I commit to living it out this day forth empowered by your Holy Spirit until I see you face to face. Lord, we lift up all those who we know who do not yet know you. Lord, in this place and in our lives, Lord, we pray that we would be the salt and light to them that you need us to be, that you would give us opportunity to speak truth and love as only you can, that you would move in hearts. Lord, I pray that you would speak to all of us in this room as well. Lord, that in the days and weeks to come, we would reflect on the fruit that we're producing. And Lord, that we would draw near to you, that we may continue to produce good fruit for your kingdom. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.